Hi there, I'm Shane Stacks of the Shane Plays Geek Talk podcast, and you're listening to Save for Half, where we save for half, half as well as we should like, and we save for half less than half as often as we deserve. School games and modern games inspired by them. Good evening. Welcome to the Save for Half podcast, a podcast about old school games and the modern games inspired by them. And here's something that is definitely a artifact of its era, let's put it that way. Yes, we're covering Killer by Steve Jackson Games. I am DM Mike, who's a killer whose preferred weapon is a half-ton safe cunningly disguised as a pillow. Ooh. And joining us is DM Liz. A killer whose preferred weapon is the banana. Bananas are good. Yeah. Full of potassium. Mm. Jack Harkness carries one. Not by choice, but he does. <laughs> and DM Corbett, a killer whose preferred weapon is burning down your house with crepe paper. That's okay. I won't burn any houses down unless you mess with my dog, in which case then I go ballistic. <laughs> so... <laughs> And finally, it's DM Jim, the killer whose preferred weapon is the Lost in Space water gun. Yes, I'm DM Jim. James Jim. Which Ooh. would make more sense if it was a Walter PTK water, <laughs> water pistol. I didn't think that all the way through. But... Stick with the theme. Oh, the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about this, probably a proto-LARP RPG. It's, uh, it's a thing. We'll have to discuss it and where it falls into the whole category of role-playing games, or not. But before that, Liz has an announcement. I do. I'd like to give a shout-out to a new patron who's joined us, David R., and he's joined the ranks of our of our proud supporters. And thank you so much, David. You You help us to keep doing what we're doing. Thanks, David. Welcome to the Madhouse. Yay! Thank you. And if David saves up enough box tops, he will get his own safe or half secret decoder ring, which will tell him later the secret codes. <gasps> I don't even have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say stuff like that, Corbett. Now I'm off in my head figuring, how could I 3D print something like that? You too can be a junior halfling. <laughs> a quarterling. No, wait. I hate that guy. <laughs> A quarterling. A buck and a quarter quarterling. (laughs) So if I get two quarterlings, could I play Gauntlet? (laughs) 
Uh, or is that Dragon Slayer? I forget. Anyway. Two two quarterlings in a trench coat? Yeah. <laughs> now that's to get into R-rated movies. Oh. All right. Well, let's take a quick pod break. And then when we come back, it'll be Mike and Mac- Mechanics. Hey, everyone. This is Tim from Tomorrow's End Podcast. If you're interested in post-apocalyptic moral project, then Tomorrow's End Podcast is for you. You can hear us at tomorrowsend.org or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and more. So, you wanted to learn a new language, but something keeps getting in the way? Nook neck. I'm Michael Dorn. I think it's time you discovered Rosetta Stone. Available in over 30 languages, and now for the first time, Klingon. Let's see what Klingon can do for you. With Rosetta Stone's new Klingon language program, I can talk to my son and feel like I'm not missing out. But Jack ate him out, Dad! Gosh! Little scamp. Speaking Klingon is a great way to make new friends. I've tried other methods, but this is the only one that really worked for me. Now my friends and I can speak to each other in Klingon. The Klingon language is fun. Go sleep, Tate Judge! Thank you, Rosetta Stone. Klingon is a romance language. Thanks, Rosetta Stone. Today is a good day to learn Klingon. Succeed or your money back. Order now. Kapla. Rosetta Stone is not responsible for any war begun or ended while speaking Klingon. The Rosetta Stone system can be yours for a low price of $269.99. Use promo code Frankie and save 10%. Offer not valid on Earth. This portion of the show is being brought to you by the all-new product made especially for nervous people who need to chew on something but don't want to be kept awake at night. Ed's new caffeine-free fingernails. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, sorry. sorry. That's Mike and the mechanics of the game. My bad. Mike and the mechanics. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, <laughs> <that was> quick. <laughs> there is no character generation system in this game. Well, except, except for your parents. Your parents generated the character you're going to use in this game. Well, they, they already know the system, and they don't need it explained. Or at least the listeners don't need it explained. Check with your own parents if you need it explained. <laughs> God. Otherwise, to give everyone a brief background, Killer was a proto-LARP-type game that was originally a craze in the 70s that was codified in 1981 by Steve Jackson Games, which is when I heard about it when I got a copy of the rules. You're playing yourself going around to your various friends trying to shoot, bomb, or drop rubber snakes on them to quote-unquote kill them, depending on the scenario. Now, there are personality traits that you can choose to modify victory points, but it's it's not a role-playing game in that you get to, I want to play somebody with big strength. No, if you don't have big strength, you don't have big strength. That's just the way it is. If you're not smart, you're not smart. You are basically you. So. It had four editions and has been played a lot, even up until just five or six years ago. It's really kind of surprising. For all I know, they're going on right now. I just, you know, my research didn't bring it up. But anyway, so since we're done with the Mike of the Mechanics, we'll just jump directly into first impressions and then the top five. It's just a first impression. 
I could be totally wrong It's only a first impression And though the impression is strong It never can hurt to question First impressions And since Jim and I are the only ones to have actually played Killer back in the day We'll start with Liz Well, (laughs) while I never did actually play Killer I guess the closest I ever got to playing anything like this game was playing a nighttime variant of hide-and-seek called Murder in the Dark during sleepovers and stuff. I played that a few times at your house when you had a party. Yeah, so you've got a secret killer, one killer, and everybody else is a victim, and the killer tries to kill everybody in the dark. Not really. (laughs) Without being caught. But that's pretty much where the similarities end with this and the the killer rule set at that we're reading and covering today. So my first impressions, one, it did remind me a little of the Murder in the Dark game that I played, but there's a lot more complexity. It can last for days. It's an ongoing thing. It sounded like it might be fun, but at the same time, it's not something that I personally would ever want to actually participate in. (laughs) I'd be cool with being an accomplice, which is one of the rules that, or variants that you can possibly have in a game. You've got the people who are participating, and sometimes, depending on the, the session and the GM, accomplices are allowed as well. I'd be cool with being an accomplice. I don't think I'd want to play myself, but it does sound like a really neat idea. <laughs> okay. Corbett. I thought it was a fun throwback to the time. I uh, I could tell you if I had seen this when I was younger, I probably would have been like more into this than I would have been into D&D just because like I was way into pretend at about the time this came out. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's pretend everything. Although that does seem really dangerous thinking back. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've seen a few people run past at conventions back, you know, in the early 90s. I mean, that obviously were playing the game and I didn't realize what was going on. Just like, okay, you get to run around with guns and stuff at the convention. That's normal. So honestly, reading through it, kind of fun at first impression wise. Okay. I could, I could tell like it would be fun. I just, you would definitely need some, some controls. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Jim. Oh my God, where do I start? The first edition, which is the copy you shared with us, came out in '81. So uh, I, I think I've mentioned before, I discovered Dungeons and Dragons at the, of all places, the Baptist Student Union at the University of Kentucky in mm-hmm. 1979, and and we just gave that place so much hell. One day, one of our gaming group came in with these rules and said, "We're going to run it." And you remember when you're in that first flowering of becoming a gamer? I hadn't been a gamer before D and D, so everything was, "We're going to take this to the furthest extreme possible." So we ran completely amok with this game until it eventually resulted in, you know, some hurt feelings, some broken friendships that needed to patch up. But we had mondo fun with this. As long okay. as it didn't end up with you being banished from. The, the Baptist Student Union. Very oh, good no. It was late 70s, early 80s. So, I mean, like, the, the minister brought me and a couple of us in one time and explained to us how it wasn't a good idea to come to the Baptist Student Union. Hi. You know, that happened. Yeah, but yeah. We, nobody got kicked out. Okay. Or sent to jail. <laughs> yeah. Or sent to jail. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got this rules pretty much when it came out in 81. May have been early 82. I had seen at a couple of conventions, one in Atlanta, where people were doing the the Logan's Run variant, where 
Some people would choose to be runners. Others would choose to be sandmen. For the convention, your goal was, if you're a runner, just to avoid the sandmen and getting shot. So, And I thought, I, as a kid, I was like, oh, that is that looks so much fun. So when I saw Killer, it was like, ooh, must get. <laughs> I grabbed it. And I was also inspired by an issue of the Space Gamer, number 46, where Mike Stackpole wrote an article called The FBI Affair, where he, in fictionalized form, wrote up a game of Killer they had at the Flying Buffalo offices in Scottsdale. That was a lot of fun. So it's like, ooh, ooh. I so want to do this. I so want to do this. And I got this. And I got all my high school friends. And we played it repeatedly. And yeah, there's things happen. (laughs) And I'll probably go into some of them during the top fives as, okay, this is how the rule reads. And this is how it works in actual effect. (laughs) Right, right, right. And this is why I no longer talk to X. X. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be more on like an apology tour just in case some of those old BSU friends whom I'm friended to on Facebook, you know, happen to hear the episode and I drop a name. I, you know, we, I was an adolescent idiot and so were the rest of us. Yeah, pretty much. Only at least you guys were college idiots. We were high school idiots. So in fact, we were end of middle school, beginning of high school idiots. So, all right, well then let's go to top five. Since Jim and I are the ones with the most experience, I'll start the top five off with Jim. Okay. We learned this game the same way we learned D&D. We, we were all just, one guy had the rule book and he taught us how to play. So I'd never actually read the rules until uh, preparation for this podcast, right? Just like I DM'd games at that age, just the same way I was DM'd. So instead of top five about the actual rules, I've got it. My top five is going to be top five weapons and kills. So I'll be I'll be an outlier in this, but uh, all the best stories are there. So as you mentioned, because I posted on Facebook today, my favorite weapon was a water pistol shaped like a first season Lost in Space laser pistol, which I think probably before I was of an age to have water pistols had been licensed. But then the molds just ran amok and they were in every drugstore and dime store back in the day. And I just because I like Lost in Space as a kid, I thought it was cool. So I played the game. I want, you to, I want to paint the whole picture. I'm 19 years old. I'm at the University of Kentucky in a 1971 MG midget that had been dirt raced by the prior owner. I've got a Lost in Space water pistol in the seat beside me and a backup in the glove box, top down, roaming the campus looking for my target. <laughs> well, I can do a drive-by. And whistling the James Bond theme in my head, just thinking I'm cooler than cool when at that age I look basically like a short Eric Foreman with big Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> what color was uh, the gun? I, I bought a whole bunch because they were like, what, 98 cents a piece and farmed through them to get the ones that shot the farthest. So I had my main was blue and my off one was green. Okay. So you didn't paint them to look more realistic. Oh, no, no. Just you do in the rules. (laughs) I should have backed up and played, too. The guy that ran the game for us, Lonnie Barnett, just told us we're going to play water rules. So all the weapons had to be Mm water-based. And I should also explain for younger listeners, this was before there were, you know, rapid-firing machine Nerf guns or uh, motor-driven water pistols. It was just regular old school water pistols. Yep. Okay. Corbett. 
So speaking of, of weapons, they have a class system for weapons, A, B, C, and D. A is ineffectual, well, like a uh, something that really can't do any damage. Right, the maximum save. Yeah, B can do some potentially can do some damage if it was you know handled wrong and c could do damage and probably should only be used very very rarely and d is a real weapon then you should not be using it at all i thought it was weird that water balloons were class b because they can do property damage because of the amount of water that hits but a water pistol is considered a class a like if you start hosing somebody down with water gun they're i mean they're gonna get wet Things are going to be damaged. Yeah, but not as much as if you got hit in the face with a water balloon. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty sure if I squirted Liz in the face with a water gun, she would turn into a Class C weapon. So <laughs> I'm just saying. You, you, you may be Class right. Class D on Mondays. Monday. <laughs> True. Monday Liz does turn into Class D. <laughs> I could see in a freak accident somebody throwing a water balloon missing and actually managing to break a window with it oh, if, yeah, the, if the balloon was, was sufficiently large enough and you just like lobbed it it's like, like a, sl- on a slingshot or something yeah yeah so yeah, i mean from high enough up a water balloon would hurt too that's true yeah well and see nowadays i i was about to say with jim talking about like water guns now are different than water guns then which is very true because nowadays i think me and mike were talking about it before the show started recording you can buy essentially a like a fire hose equivalent of a of a water gun now that would you know knock somebody down if you hit them right <laughs> pin you against a wall yeah <laughs> but there were there were some interesting verifications i wouldn't mind going through like how is that class a and that's class b when <laughs> This other one's class C or vice versa. Yeah. I, I, I totally get the class system. It makes it easy to understand like, okay, how this works and how this mm-hmm. doesn't work. Okay. Liz? I'll continue on with the vein of talking about weapons. In the weapons section, they also had, you know, they talk about, you know, the game specifically states, never assume a weapon is safe because it is sold as a toy, which is a very good point to make, you know, even back then. It's like, oh, well, it's like a, it's a, it's a Nerf pistol. It's like, oh, you could still, at the risk of sounding like my parents, you could put an eye out, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of really unique and clever ideas for things that you could use as weapons. I, I really think that if you were going to play the game, you have the opportunity to be really creative, you know, not just using water pistols and stuff, but drawings, notes, you know, just all kinds of things that you can use to, you know, inform someone if, without you actually physically being there. Hey, I've killed you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll just quote something that he put in on the first page. Because the information in, and suggestions in this book may be used in circumstances outside his control, the author assumes no responsibility or liability <laughs> for any losses incurred in using these rules. I love that, man. That's a 1981 disclaimer. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, before we start talking all this, you can't blame me for anything in here. Yeah, and near, <laughs> and near the end of the book... He he says, if you get arrested doing something you shouldn't, please do not call the author and ask for bail. <laughs> oh. Mike, 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 you're, you're the historian in the group. Was 1981 before or after the FBI had paid Steve Jackson's game offices a visit? Before. <laughs> oh, but, okay. it, but it may have been after the FBI was at TSR's offices about the... 
Top Secret. Top Secret. In fact, I think it was after, because it was after Achille Loro. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I think the, the Steve Jackson games happened in the late 80s. So, surprisingly enough, not due to this. Yeah. Okay, number four, Jim. I had a signature move that I we had a mixed group of guys and gals. I never did this to the women, but my signature move, if I was confident that my cover had not been blown. I mean, in the context, we were all just racing around, springing from behind doors and trying to keep people catch people just coming out of the class right mine was much more i would just slowly stalk you and then say hi casually on the sidewalk and slip one arm around you stick the pistol down the back of your jeans and do a rear door so you're now not just dead but you've got to walk the rest of the way looking like something unfortunate has happened oh, oh that's awful <laughs> I know, no you're just I mean <laughs> i think you i explained a- we were we were little you were a terrible person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> terrible yes, yes. person. Oh, well, uh, you know, in my defense, only the guys. <laughs> wow. We didn't do that. That would definitely have turned Liz into a class C, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have been a class, class X. <laughs> <laughs> the new class X, which means no trace of her victim will ever be found. Yeah, Liz is in the back going, what are the body bag rules? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of wet food for the cats. <laughs> All right, Corbett, four. It's right about the same spot that I think Liz had mentioned about uh, the toy. If, if you use a toy, w- one of the things they wrote in there was about weapons. You shouldn't be allowed to use a weapon that you are not willing to use on yourself. Yeah, it covers a couple things. But the basic idea is if you aren't willing to get hit by this weapon, you shouldn't be using it. I thought that was a nice touch, and I'm sure Mike has already broken that rule many times. (laughs) No, but I know many people who have, because this does not consider the problem of machismo. Oh, right, like in junior high when you're with your buddies and you're having the who can take a frog in the shoulder contest. Uh Uh-huh, or or covering hands in in hairspray and then lighting them on fire to see how it burns before you start (laughs) feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A great intent, but yeah, falls apart very quickly. Or maybe it just fell apart in Mississippi, which is entirely possible. Well, to be fair, any younger kids is definitely going to fall apart. That was in the rules and we never thought of it, how to take a rubber band and put it around a can of hairspray. And it says use air freshener. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Liz. To um, springboard off of that, one of the things that I had noted while reading, a large part of the game hinges on the players being truthful about whether or not they were killed, what they're doing, success, lack of success. I notice all through the thing, if you're taken out by a bomb, if if something happens, you are expected to call the GM, and let them know, hey, I've been killed. Hey, this happened to me. Again, if everybody is playing as they should, this sounds like it would be great, but I'm kind of biased. Some of my early years in the SCA, the so-called rhino hiders, you know, Mm -hmm. they'd get smacked. Everybody watching could tell they had been dealt a killing blow, and they'd just go, light, you know, because... They're so macho. Oh, I hardly felt that. Remember the rapier list where somebody kept calling light and the other guy got so sick of it, he slammed his rapier so hard into the mask, it dented? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And he finally called it. 
Yeah, well, I hope so. But now it's in my face. Oh my God. <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a huge potential for people, you know, especially with types of deaths that there's nobody around to see it. They'll just pretend that they didn't get caught by the bomb blast or whatever. Or, oh, I noticed that and I disarmed it. So you didn't kill me. No. I don't know if you or Jim know of any specific instances when you guys were playing where stuff like that happened and nobody had proof, but everyone else is thinking this guy never, ever gets killed and he's got to be fudging what's going on with him. Honestly, I'd say two thirds to three quarters of the kills in our games were pistols Mm -hmm. or knives. Mm -hmm. We didn't go in for a lot of the bombs. And when we did, it was usually like popping a balloon and we watched <laughs> so so that we could go, ah, you set it off. You're dead. I don't know if there was always that we were an honest group or there just were always so many witnesses. There was no point <laughs> the, with the water rules. You're wet or you're not, you know, a dart. You could argue, well, it missed me. Yeah. No. Did y'all use a lot of bombs? I'm getting to that. <laughs> okay. My number four. There's rules in here that a lot of the information. Remember, this is pre-internet, guys. There's a lot of talk about having a central game bulletin board where notifications of deaths, changes to the rules, or, you know, different things can be posted up there. And everybody's expected to be able to go by there and get updates. So to handle that, X number of feet from the bulletin board is considered a no-kill area. A good idea in concept but unless you're going to have the GM or a GM's accomplice watching it, again, you run into the, the honesty rule. Yeah, I got, hi, I killed you. You're outside the 50 feet. No, it's it's still 49 feet. <laughs> 49 know, and, and three quarters. Three quarters, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So interesting, but yeah, I see that as a potential point of argument. Unless you keep like a webcam on it all the time, I suppose that would work. There was no webcams then. Right. There, Yeah. I mean, to do now, but yeah, back then they that would not work unless again, yeah, for instance, the, the bulletin board was in my garage. So, you know, it was easy for me to keep an eye on things. I remember them playing as this at cons, but like in 2023, the only con I could think of where you could even conceive of doing this would be North Texas Con when Doug was still alive and you get in on a technicality because it's a role-playing game. <laughs> oh, God. But can you imagine watching us 50-year-old people just kind of <laughs> staggering around shooting at each other? That'd be ah. sad. Oh, I've been hit. Oh, no, I, that was me. <laughs> You shorted out my power wheelchair. <laughs> I can see Tim Cask rolling up on his scooter with like a, a one of those Nerf machine guns. Okay. <laughs> he would. Tim would totally do a drive-by. Yeah, the the way he drives those things, it would just his rule would just be if he tags you with it because he can't almost help himself sometimes. Uh, oh, it's like Death Race two thousand. I will say the last thing. There's several places that are considered off-limit areas. Classrooms while classes are in session, churches while services are in session, and my personal favorite, police stations. <laughs> I had to ah. clarify that. Yeah! I didn't go to a police station <laughs> with a with fake weapon. pistols and just start blasting my cap guns. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, that won't end badly at all. <laughs> no! 
I mean, we're talking like the 80s now when the water pistols were all bright colors and stuff like that. But I remember being a little kid in the 60s and some of those like handgun, toy handguns they would hand us were metal. They looked real. Oh, yeah. And had caps in them. Yeah, the cap guns, even in the 80s. Yeah. The cap guns may have been plastic, but they were still black. So, yeah. But I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Number oh, three, Jim. I love this theme. We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to so, that. uh... You guys are starting to sound like Doctor Who. I'll explain later. <laughs> later. <laughs> and then they never do. <laughs> oh, I wish I could do an English accent. Uh, you know how you think you invented something just because you're the first person in your group to come up with it? All we knew were it was water rules and the two weapons of choice were going to be water pistols and water balloons primarily. So for our group, I invented the door bomb where you would just open a door ajar enough to wedge a giant water balloon up there and balance it. And I was dexterous enough to do that. The only problem was setting it up in advance, which the two kills I got that way required weaseling my way into the guy's apartment, you know, like bribing the roommate just to let me in. And, you know, oh, I've got to use the restroom now and not tell him and hope he didn't go in there first. Yeah, because there was major point losses for killing bystanders. Assuming you weren't just automatically invalidated out of the game for doing that, which but that is was the my, rules. I, that was my very favorite way to get somebody was a door bomb. They just got home from class. They go straight to their room. The second that door that's already a crack a jar gets pushed open, boom, Flap. baby. And if they get splattered, and they're doubtless going to, even if the balloon itself misses them, they're dead. Okay, Corbett, three. Masks. I thought masks were funny and kind of weird and a little dumb. Maybe all of those things multiple times. <laughs> you wear a mask to assassinate somebody secretly. So nobody will realize that the person who killed you was the person in the mask. I, I, I get the idea. The concept is cool. But if you're wearing a mask, it means everybody else, if you're playing an open game, uh, that everybody else has the rights to kill you straight out. So it seems like wearing a mask is really detrimental, but it's kind of a cool idea for the, the secretive part of the assassination. And also it's funny because everybody's running around with masks on, which sounds like you're definitely going to get picked up by the cops. Yeah, masks. Masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Liz, three. Getting back to your top mention about the off-limits areas. I kind of, when I was reading that, it made me wonder. A little, a few episodes back, we covered Vampire the Masquerade, and they've got a concept called Elysium within the game, which are safe areas where nobody can attack each other. And I kind of wondered, reading this, did the writers of Vampire get their idea of the concept of Elysium from the play of the safe areas in games like Killer, Assassination, etc. Well, considering Vampire had such a large LARP variant, mm -hmm. yeah, you gotta wonder. Yeah, and much like the Elysiums in Killer, your safe areas, your off-limits areas, you can still gather there to discuss and make plans within the, the game itself, related to the game. So you can be there in-game, you just can't attack each other for any reason while you're there. Mm -hmm. So I kind of made that connection. Whether there really is one or not, I don't know, but it made me think of that. That's a super good point because a similar thing occurred to me as I'm reading through this. I'm like, I'm wondering how much of Werewolf came from this because the notes get passed out and you don't know who's after you. You mm -hmm. only know who you got to go get. Yeah. Okay. Three. As I said, this is an artifact of its time. 
1981, and though it went through four publishing editions, 1981, 1985, 1992, and 1998, surprisingly enough, there are certain things that were permissible in the game of this time that in post-9-11 U.S. you really don't want to do. So I'm going to add a quick little list of things you don't want to do, mostly weapons. As Corbett started off with, masks, especially full-face masks, carrying any kind of gun-like device. Not good. Wrapping of crepe paper around someone's house to note a fire to burning down the house. Since most of the time, the only way you're going to be able to do that and catch them in there with them not noticing you doing it is going to be at night. <laughs> so well, that's okay if you wear a mask. <laughs> don't go say anything if you've got a mask on. We see they'll identify you by that shotgun wound. Their door cam is already outed you and the cops are on the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even counting any dogs in the backyard. Much of the sneakiness required for bombs and setting of poisons, as Jim noted, you know, you just couldn't do today. Painting your water, encouraging you to paint your water guns or other disc guns to look more realistic. Mm -hmm. Claiming a cap gun is class A. Well, maybe as far as the safety of the person you're shooting, but if you're going around with a black cap gun, aiming it and pop, pop, popping... You're going to end up with somebody pop, pop, popping at you, especially in an open carry state. <laughs> they will not be using a cap and gun. And they will not be using a cap gun. And their weapon is class D, at least. <laughs> and now we know why we would never do that in Texas. Yes. <laughs> class D for dead. Dead. So, yeah, that's not an exhaustive list. They're just the ones that stood out the most to me. Jim, number two. Oh, it's just a, you know, it's a joy to have been able to participate in those times. I'm not, they'll never come again. So my number two is the shoe bomb. One of my targets uh, liked big dingo boots. That was a thing in the 70s and 80s. And I, I got in his bedroom at a D&D game under the cover of Saul at a D&D game. I got in his bedroom and in the toe of one of his boots, I placed a, let's call it a very small skinny water balloon. <laughs> All the way up in the toes. So the second he got that boot and gave it a good poo, push, wet foot. Did you twist it to make it into a wiener dog? <laughs> I didn't have to. It'd be kind of like a Joker bomb, you know? <laughs> oh, 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 I see what you mean. Like the whole balloon animal. No, yeah. no. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, I don't have a balloon small enough. I wish I could think of something. I've got it. <laughs> <sighs> okay, Corbett? Uh, never underestimate Jim being clever. <laughs> Ever. I have a question in play that you guys might be able to answer because it, uh, reading the rule, it, I think it's a good idea, but I don't know how that would be enforced in play is the use of money to buy equipment. So that way, I, th I mean, the idea sounds pretty good that you would limit the amount of like people who have money can just go buy all the water guns and water balloons and stuff they want and having a money setup that you can, uh, I thought it was funny. They said, if you counterfeit the money, then it's okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> which i question a lot as far as the honesty thing but um <laughs> is it normal did you guys keep like a okay you can only use this one weapon and that's it or did you have like a weapon supply chain or how'd you handle that jim um we were all broke college students and even the people from rich families who shouldn't have been broke were because of buying beer yeah it, just, it didn't come <laughs> up for us with us that was a problem because some of us ben had more money than so others of us 
me. So what we did is everybody got their gear, and during the intro and setup, usually the one I remember most is at my grandmother's uh, patio. We basically, all of us put our stuff up and made it a purchasing weapons and bomb store. Okay. and That's kind of cool. I doled mm-hmm. out the equal amount. We were using, I think it was life money, to be honest. Maybe it was Monopoly, but I think it was the life because it had the little pictures on it. And I coordinated everybody buying. Okay, everybody has the equal of money. You buy it, and that's your your stuff for... Unless it's, you know, stuff like you could buy your own crepe paper, for example. Not that anyone ever tried to burn down anyone's home or car or whatever, but that would be the sort of thing you're basically, if this was a real thing, you would buy gasoline and matches. So that's cheap. Who cares? But stuff like pistols, the more complex bombs, that sort of thing. Yeah. Grenades. You had to, you, you went through the, the depot to buy. Okay. I was kind of curious. It sounded like it was a good idea, but I can't imagine it being back to Liz's point of everybody's a dirty, dirty liar. (laughs) (laughs) The way we enforce that is, well, if you're caught killing somebody with something that you obviously didn't buy, you you take major victory point losses. I did kind of like their victory point system, especially with the personality traits. That way, you you know, it modified. If you you were like brave, you got extra points for doing stuff, really crazy stuff and that sort of thing. All right, Liz. Number three. Number three? Or is this number two? Three. I think we're on number two. Oh, is it two? Okay. Ah, never mind. It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) It's like Groundhog Day. Just going to do number three (laughs) over and over again. Uh, No, it's time for Liz's number two. Oh, excuse me. I'll be back in a moment then. Ew. Because <laughs> everybody's a dirty, dirty liar. Yes. <laughs> so my number two, there's all kinds of different ways that you can play killer. There's what they call the circle of death, which is the most basic way of all to play. They've got a variance where you can play team versus team. They've got variants that they suggest where you could be playing in different time periods. So out of all the ones that they listed, my two top favorites were the secret agents from 2080. And basically, you've got a team of killers who are supposed to be from the future. They've gone back in time. They're trying to change the timeline Sarakana. That's a good story, actually. It's pretty. It's. I liked it. I like that one too. I thought that was a really interesting, you know, variant to play. And there's another way you can play that they call the bomb builders, which I thought was really interesting as well. And the GM hands out to the team the ones that are trying to create the bomb. You've got like six, eight, ten pieces, and. Like ev- once a week or whatever, you know, time frame. Like once a day, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, once a day, once a it week. Put on the timeline time. you're running on. The GM will give the group that's trying to build the bomb a piece of the bomb. And then they have to try to get it to the location, drop that piece off. And if they're intercepted by the other team, which are security forces, and they get killed, you know, the security forces take your piece they give it back to the GM. There's like possibly a time period that you wait before the GM can give out that piece again. So basically, Team A is trying to assemble this bomb in a public location without it being found, the location being found by the security team. 
and without all of them being killed so that they can't finish assembly, uh, the security team, of course, is trying to prevent them from creating the bomb. So I thought that was a really neat variant, too, that... I would not mind trying to. Well, play. a little, a little more invested and in, involved than just go shoot everybody. Yeah, yeah. Not that anything can be. There's nothing wrong with going out and shooting everybody. Well, not having read the rules in the day, just doing what our guy told us to do. I, I saw stuff in the rules, like uh, in that bomb section you talk about, Liz, the little Dennis Lubay art of the box with two strings coming out of two holes. Pull one to diffuse. Uh-huh. Genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one? Well, find out. <laughs> okay, that's yours? That, that is my number two. Okay. Speaking of bombs, my number two, my favorite bomb, the cassette, I'm a 30-second bomb. <laughs> it says, you set it off, it says, I'm a 30-second bomb, I'm a 30-second bomb, 29, 28, 27, 26. It says, odds are you're probably not going to kill your victim with it, but it'll drive them fits. But my favorite is the lying 30-second bomb. I'm a 30-second bomb, <laughs> 29, 28, boom! I lied. <laughs> I loved that one. Unfortunately, everyone just assumed that any 30-second bomb, a bomb set off with my voice, it's going to be the fake one, run. Because <laughs> <laughs> Mikey is a lying liar who lies. I'm a lying liar who lies. <laughs> Indeed. All right, Jim, take us home. Number one. This was not one of my kills, although I helped the guy who executed this invent it, and we got into big trouble. This was, uh, we played, we we beat this game to death one whole semester, maybe two or three rounds over the course of a semester. The first round, the rules for the safe places had to change because of us. I was already out, and my buddy confided in me his target, and it was a girl that I had been friends with. Later, she dated my brother, and I knew she worked the drive-through at the Burger Chef. So my suggestion was, let's go to uh, Burger, Burger Chef, Chef, order some food, and when she opens the drive-through window, chuck a water balloon in. And uh, he did uh, it. Uh. And we had to run for it. <laughs> the manager <laughs> came charging out of there after us, and the rules on what the safe places were were greatly expanded after that round of killing. <laughs> no burger, chef. <laughs> and now you know why she dated my brother and not me. I think you're the only other person I've ever met when I mentioned burger, chef, and knows what the Free f- I'm talking about. <laughs> it was a fast food chain. It disappeared in the late 70s, early 80s, but it it existed. Anybody that went to UK at the time, it was like the, the main burger joint. It's long gone now. That's a block of campus buildings where it was now. But it was it was the place everybody stopped on their way back and forth to class. And, and if you need a job, it's a place you get a job. Yeah, in Greenwood, it was there for a few years. But then it got bought out by McDonald's and turned into a McDonald's. And then I never saw a burger chef anywhere else. Uh, Geraldine Tea Garden, if you're listening, I'm sorry we were like that when we were kids. Anything I can do to make it up to you today, you let me know. <laughs> okay, Corbett, number one. Okay, something I didn't like, or, I, well, I thought it was weird, and probably that's why I didn't like it. But in order to quit the game, you have to publicly commit suicide. We don't have to, but it's it's encouraged. That was the rule. It's like, you should make a display, put on a show, do the whole thing, like weird couldn't you just say like screw you guys i'm going home and that's it i thought i thought it said you could as long as you contacted the gm that's all you needed to do but you were encouraged to commit suicide in public so come on corbett you can't crunch a pop rock and foam a little at the mouth (laughs) something else you should not do today commit suicide in public (laughs) 
<laughs> Especially with a pop rock coming out of the corner of your mouth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Once you start, you really got to commit to that. All right, Liz, number two. Right, no, no, number one. one. No, number two. No! <laughs> I will not. Okay, number one. We're, we're playing the time travel scenario. It's a loop now. It's Groundhog Day, safer house style. <laughs> I, I'm getting out of this right now. <laughs> I commit suicide publicly. That's right. I am publicly committing suicide, and I am out of this episode. I am myself with this orange cat. <laughs> ah! <laughs> okay. My number one. Now, <laughs> are you going to discuss your favorite line, Mike? Unless you do, in which case I've got like six other things I can choose. Well, I'm not going to discuss specifically your favorite line, but I will discuss the banana as a weapon. Class A pistol. Yes, the the safest of the weapons. That's it? Uh, No, no, that is not it. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. So yes, they, they say that the banana is the ultimate nonviolent weapon. They, they tell you, of course, the mechanics of, of how to use the banana as a weapon. But they say that bystanders are not likely to intervene when one person chases another down the street brandishing a banana. <laughs> Indeed, they may not believe that they saw it. And they also go so far as to let you know that if the banana is crushed, while in the assassin's pocket, it cannot be used, though it may still be eaten. Oh. Thank you, Steve Jackson, <laughs> for giving me that permission. Has anybody else got a picture of John Cleese in a t-shirt and boxer <laughs> shorts now? Here's how you defend yourself from a banana. <laughs> okay. So that it's, it's a multitask sort of weapon. Thousands of household Thousands, uses. yes. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's my I favorite. And mm -hmm. my number one, I'm going to wrap up with the banana, mm -hmm. with the best line in the whole book. A banana attack requires no marksmanship. <laughs> but a certain <laughs> amount of skill <laughs> is required. I just love it. <sighs> I could read that all day. Attack <laughs> requires no marksmanship. And yet, they go on to say that a certain amount of skill is required. It's <laughs> funny because it's true. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I just picture Jack Harkness, actually, in that Doctor Who episode where he lunges up against the, the gas mask zombies and wielding what he thinks is his <laughs> pistol, but the doctors switched it with a banana. <laughs> like, mm -mm. All right. Well, and then, that was your obligatory Doctor Who reference for the episode. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take another pod break and then head into what saves for half and what briarks. What do you get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book related podcast? Why? You get the Weird Wars podcast, of course. Weird War Tales was a 124 issue DC comic book series published from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like themed comic book from a different title or publisher. There are also the rare Road Warriors episodes where we report on comic related road trips like conventions or visiting the homes and grave sites of 
comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comics creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories, which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo-eating dinosaurs. Haunted chateaus. Time-traveling rats. Zombie robots. Day-walking vampires. Gargoyle armies. And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war no more. Is your mom there? No, I'm home alone. Well, you won a prize. What's your address? Uh, 42 Oak Street. Hey, Roblox, some stranger's bringing me a prize. A stranger, huh? All he wanted to bring you was trouble. Remember, never tell anyone you're home alone and never give anyone your address. I'll say mom can't come to the phone. Smart thinking. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! What makes the save, and what is going to take? Free art! What makes the save, and what free arcs? And this time we'll start with Liz. Woo! Okay, what makes the save? I think this is a super creative game. There's always the draw of being part of a secret game going on around everybody else, that you're part of something that everyone else around you has no ideas going on. There's there's a real draw to that. I think it's also possibly a way that kind of bond together with a group of people that you may not have ever had an opportunity to get to know otherwise, joining up in a game like this. And then when it's all over, being able to sit around and, and talk about what everyone did. Yeah, with these rules, there's not really a chicken or the egg argument, because actually this game was going on on college campuses throughout the 70s. Steve Jackson just codified it in a set of rules. Mm -hmm. They actually even made two movies about this sort of game. One was called The Assassination Game, or Tag, and the other one was called Gotcha. I've seen Gotcha. I never saw The Assassination Game. But it, it's, it was a really great way to, I guess, on college life to get to know people by, it was by a, killing them. <laughs> it was an official craze in its day. Yeah. So I think that's what makes the save for me. What does not make the save so much is something that we've touched on at several points earlier in this episode. It's not something you could easily play nowadays. If you wanted to play a variant of this kind of game now, you'd have to do a lot differently. And a lot of the stuff that is given as options for you in these rules, it's eliminated nowadays with the abundance of home security camera systems, just cameras all over public places that would not have been around 20, 30 years ago, it would be a lot more difficult to skulk around and ambush people without being caught on somebody's webcam, somebody taking their smartphone and filming you because they think that something nefarious is going on and calling the police. And I'm part of a Facebook neighborhood group 
And I swear to God, somebody walks down the street with a hoodie pulled up over their head and you've got four or five people sharing footage of their ring cams and going, if you see this person, be careful. I have no idea what they're up to. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, holy crap, guys. But if I go down the road wearing a mask, well, that's fine. fine. You'll be fine. No, no, no. So yeah, I think the, the part that doesn't make the save, at least now, is it would be a lot harder to get away with playing this game. Yeah, I did some research, and it's actually in the handbook of the University of Texas at Dallas that a student can be expelled for playing these sorts of games. Wow. Well, and rightly so. Yeah. Although I've I've given to understand that they've been playing these as late as 2016 at some colleges. Where the last arrest happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, essentially, that's how I learned about it. It's like, it's a little news thing about the student getting the police called on them. Yeah, nobody responds to the news about somebody having fun today. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Corbett? Okay, well, what, what makes the save? It's pretty daring. Honestly, for 81, I couldn't imagine trying to coordinate something like, because the, the, uh, Mike was talking about, they have the bulletin board where everybody goes to to keep up with what's happening in the killer world. The uh, game master is supposed to be by the phone at a certain part of the day, ready to re- relay and respond to information. I, I think that's kind of cool. I think that's how probably guys like Dave Arneson would do these big, elaborate, building-wide games. But considering it would be so much easier to coordinate that stuff now, it, it's it's pretty daring that they yeah, did website it Website and texting, you know? It's... Yeah, it'd be done in seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't make the save i yeah i'm kind of go with liz it's it's you couldn't do almost any of this without being thoroughly arrested and beaten <laughs> so and that's if you're white yeah <laughs> unfortunately okay jim oh what makes a save for me and and i forget whose pick this is but thank you thank you thank you because it just stretched up so many memories i am so grateful i was the right age at the it right was my choice thank you mike thank <laughs> thank thank you mike for that and thank you for saying doesn't make the save um <laughs> there's a killer shot sorry it's, it's the same way i feel about the arcades we had back then the video arcades with all the stand-up machines and yeah you can still go to dave busters or whatever and it's not the same as it was then i'm oh god we had so much fun in those days what doesn't make the save is the same stuff we've just been discussing and i you know i can't help the game designer in me i've been trying to figure out ever since i read this how could you do it today and every road leads to just go play laser tag or just go play paintball so i guess you could do a paintball version of this or, somehow, Microsoft or something yeah <laughs> and when i say you i mean people younger than me because <laughs> i i don't have any interest in this kind of yeah me neither well, remember those um, episodes of Community where they had the paintball wars? I mean, <laughs> yes, they were oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. killer because they were Very out much. for blood. <laughs> we just got to let it go like bell bottoms. Okay, they were they were groovy, <laughs> but not anymore. Yep. All right, my makes the save. I particularly like the role-playing aspect of this. As meager as it is, I like the encouragement, and it's a tangible game encouragement for being treacherous or being a fool or being glory hungry and that sort of thing and it actually modifies your victory points or you get double for doing this kind of kill or or that sort of thing we always it was a lot of fun we always well not always but sometimes we tried coming up with different personas that we would try to run in our games it was a lot of fun does it make the save this is a type of game that we discovered in very short order that is a very urban game when 
the average player is five to ten miles away from each other, especially if you're a middle or high schooler and you either don't have a car or at best you have a bike. It's very hard to do a lot of these assassinations outside of school. Maybe we should have done the crepe paper in the middle of the night. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of these where ideally it is a college-based thing because you've got this central location of multiple buildings, including residences or nearby apartments. Public bulletin board. Right. It, it, It really is made for these kind of things. And as I said earlier, you know, they're... I was surprised. I would have thought after 9-11, nobody would be doing this anymore. But, you know, I read reports of games in various universities from 2007, 2008, 2012, and 2016. Maybe not anymore, but yeah, it's apparently still a thing. Oxford has one in England. Although they have, and this just shows how things evolve, they have respawn points. So that you can constantly return to the game, and it's just got a time limit, and they just do points, whatever. But and, and unfortunately, growing up in Greenville, Mississippi, not an urban place, and there's no better way to be considered a nerd is to run around middle and high school with water guns and dart guns. And man, we were the cool kids. I can tell you that for nothing. All right. Well, this has been Killer by Steve Jackson Games. Hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And as ever, we like we enjoy covering games and. We do not take responsibility for or liability for any actions that anybody may engage in when playing this game. Void where prohibited. Aren't you glad it cuts both ways, that there was no YouTube around when we were engaged in these shenanigans? Oh yeah, and it's on the internet forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. All right, well, say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Bang, bang, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast will end in 29, 28. Hey, Ark! I lied. And we're out. The Safer Half Podcast is a production of the Mutt Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Safer Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.